Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Monday, October 16th, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Ex-New York gubernatorial candidate Lee Zeldin, who has been checking the country's political pulse while stumping for the GOP, says four-time indicted Donald Trump has a real shot at the White House. Carl Campanile in the New York Post reporting that policy fumbles by President Biden and a backlash against the partisan prosecutions of Trump have only made the embattled real estate tycoon more of a contender, according to Zeldin, a Republican from Shirley, Long Island, who served as the first congressional district representative from 2015 until the beginning of this year. Zeldin has been traveling across the country to help push conservative policies and support Republican candidates. Zeldin said too many voters believe partisan prosecutors have gone overboard in going after the former president and that it seems to be backfiring. Many people see the prosecutions as political, Zeldin said. Quote, Trump has gotten stronger, not weaker, he claimed. Zeldin also noted how President Biden's border policies put in place when he first took office helped trigger the migrant crisis, hurting his standing even in Democratic states such as New York and Illinois. Quote, the number one issue I hear about is the need to secure our borders, Zeldin said. Zeldin, who is Jewish, added that the pro-Palestinian Democratic Socialists' support for the Hamas attacks against Israel is disgraceful. Quote, when we said never again after the Holocaust, we meant it, said the former U.S. congressman from Suffolk County. Zeldin, who runs his own consulting firm and a charity called Zeldin Cares, has been speaking at and will continue to address GOP gatherings across the country, including last weekend in New Hampshire, as well as Pennsylvania, Texas, Nevada, Tennessee, Vermont, California, Florida, Ohio, Maryland, and New York. In other news, with just weeks left in the race for Pacific County Executive, the ad campaigns featuring Republican Ed Romaine and Democrat David Colon are turning sharply negative. The two are running to replace County Executive Steve Ballone, a Democrat who is term limited. The winner of the November 7th election will be the county's first new executive in 12 years. It comes with a 234,124 dollar annual salary. Video ads paid for by Cologne's campaign and advancing Suffolk, an outside political action committee that backs him, calls Romaine Crooked. That says that as a as Brookhaven town supervisor, Romaine ignores corruption and raises our taxes. Romaine representative said he has no ties to past scandals has a record of fiscal responsibility. Ads paid for by the New York Republican State Committee and Romance uh, campaign call Cologne a hokal liberal. The ads are part of an effort to tie Cologne to Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat criticized for her affordable housing proposal that would have allowed the state to override local zoning. Cologne has criticized the housing plan, which failed at the state level this year. Michael Dawidziak a political consultant who has worked with both Republicans and Democrats in local elections, said the race has gotten unnecessarily nasty on both sides. There are 972,257 registered voters in Suffolk County, according to the Board of Elections. Of those, 355,006 are Democrats versus 322,420 Republicans. There are... 294,831 voters not registered with a party. Here on the East End, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers plans to start a long-awaited coastal restoration project next year to widen a vulnerable stretch of oceanfront beach and dunes in downtown Montauk. The $11.2 million federal project Part of a larger Fire Island to Montauk Point initiative involves dredging 450,000 cubic yards of offshore sand to be placed along the beach that runs parallel to shore, uh, South Emerson Avenue. The goal is to reduce flooding risks from severe storms and tidal surges that have become more frequent due to climate change, according to the Army Corps. Joe Workmeister reporting on Newsday.com that the Fire Island to Montauk Point project, which regained Traction after Superstorm Sandy in 2012 is a $1.7 billion coastal storm risk management project that covers 83 miles along Long Island's Atlantic coast 
It dates back to the late 1950s. East Hampton Town Supervisor Peter Van Skoyak described the work as an intermediate step to give downtown Montauk breathing room for when the ocean bears down on nearby commercial properties. Quote, it's like putting a speed bump in front of Mother Nature. He said the project comes eight years after the Army Corps uh, completed an emergency stabilization of the Montauk shoreline after Sandy caused er- severe erosion. East Hampton officials announced earlier this month that the Army Corps of Engineers had selected a contractor, Great Lakes Dredge and Dock Company, to perform the work. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers expects work to begin in late winter or early spring. Town officials say they are optimistic it will be completed before next summer. And finally, the next correction officer test will be given on January 20th, 2024. The Suffolk County Sheriff's Office has announced registration for the civil service test can be completed online at SuffolkCountySheriffsOffice.com slash join dash CSCSO. So that's SuffolkCountySheriffsOffice.com slash join dash SCSO. The deadline to register is December 18th. Denise Civiletti reporting on RiverheadLocal.com that Suffolk County Correction Officer Staff Suffolk's two correctional facilities located in Riverhead and Yapank. Uh, there will also be opportunities in the Canine Unit, Internal Security Unit, Emergency Services Unit, Community Relations Unit, and more to qualify to be a Suffolk County Correction Officer. You must be a U.S. citizen, 21 years of age, have a high school diploma or equivalency like a GED, and pass medical and psychological exams. The starting salary is $49,655 with step increases every six months. After 12 years, the salary is $124,235. Reading the weather in Stony Brook in honor of Dr. Brian O'Hay joining us for the Medical Monday segment, underwritten by Jennifer Benton at the bottom of the hour during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, looking like a 20% chance of showers after 2 p.m., Today in Stony Brook, partly sunny otherwise with a high near 62 degrees northwest wind around 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 48 degrees north wind around 9 miles per hour. Right now, it's 49 degrees. And I've actually got a Jericho Walls edition planned for you this morning, all wrapped around uh, a single from this year by the band Inigo. I don't remember where I heard it, but I did find a single playlist with just that track on it. So I built one around it. Starting with the band, we've got John Fulbright, Joni Mitchell, Mary Chapin Carpenter, and Andrew Rip, followed by Rufus Wainwright, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love. Should have seen what the old man knew They should have shut us down When the hail fell to the ground From a cloudless sky A baby blue Yeah. 
WLIWFM NPR Radio.
Little John Fulbright leading us to the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour here on Monday morning, a little after midnight. If you're listening to the replay, that means it's time for our Medical Monday segment underwritten by Jennifer Benton. Grateful to have on with us Dr. Brian O'Hay with Stony Brook Medicine, Associate Professor of Clinical Surgery, Chief of Breast Surgery at Stony Brook, and also Director of the Carol M. Baldwin Breast Care Center. Good morning, Dr. O'Hay. Thank you for being with us. Good morning, Gianna, and thanks for having me on. And, and a special thank you to WLIW for making time for this important topic during uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Super important. I believe we have Dr. Uh, has, uh coming on with us a little later in the month. Uh, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, just about anyone who has had or has uh, or, or loves someone who has dealt with breast cancer. You did a fellowship at um, Up Island at, at Sloan Kettering in Manhattan, uh, a very uh, special place. Um, do you mind talking about your, your fellowship there, just to start off? Sure, sure. So in the mid-1990s, uh, in early 1990s, all of the breast surgery was uh, done by general surgeons. And there were some very good general surgeons that did very good uh, breast surgery. But there was uh, an evolution in thought that maybe breast surgery itself should become a specialty. Right. And that was really the beginnings of it. Could you could you specialize? If you specialize, maybe you'd see a higher volume. If you saw a higher volume, maybe you would do better for women in your knowledge and understanding and skill set. So in the mid-1990s, uh, Sloan Kettering was probably the first or well, one of the first institutions in the world that started to have a breast fellowship where they would take general surgeons and train them in the breast surgery ways of, of Sloan Kettering. And I was uh, one of the first to, to enter that program. Now, now breast fellowships are, are widespread throughout the whole country. There's right. probably 100, 100 fellows a year at different institutions. Can you talk a little bit more about uh... – the, the the move to have surgeons specialize and has it in fact helped to do more and better uh, for women dealing with breast cancer? Uh, I, I think it has. I don't I don't think it's it's easy to prove that, but certainly uh, in all aspects of surgery, I think it's been proven that uh, that higher volume surgery surgeons become more understanding and knowledgeable in that field, right? It would only make sense that an individualized, specialized surgeon has only one field of study to stay current on, to stay up to date on, right. whereas someone with other fields might might not have the time to dedicate to one particular specialty. The other thing that was very noticeable to me when I was in the city, that the fact that now that you asked, is the the parade of women from Long Island when I was there in the 1990s who 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 felt like there was no go-to place on Long Island who felt that if they had breast cancer they had to be in the city so that was uh, tremendously noticeable to me uh, and then uh, as a result when I came out here to Stony Brook my one of my goals was to keep keep women closer to home that they could get uh, an excellent uh, breast cancer surgery uh, uh, closer to home. And that was uh, one of the one of the goals that I had when I first came out here uh, close to 30 years ago. And that's certainly possible. You were the first specialty trained breast surgeon to practice on Long Island when you joined Stony Brook. Uh, th- it's been quite a quite a long time since the 90s. Uh, what has your experience been like in uh, the past few decades? Well, it's the the message for women is it's positive. It's yes. uh, the the outcomes are better. Yes. People are surviving. It's a, it's a largely a survivable cancer. Early detection and advanced treatment options have have resulted in women in most women beating this. Of course, there's other stories that you hear about that are very unfortunate, but most women beat this. They need to stay on their toes. They need to get their 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 annual screening uh, going forward and have a general self breast awareness. Uh, and report any abnormalities immediately. Um, and then together, obviously, despite all that, many some women still will get breast cancer despite all their best efforts. But our treatments nowadays have become so much better, and the, out, the outlook is, is bright. Um, I'm fortunate to be part of Stony Brook, where we have an incredible team of 
breast cancer specialists from oncologists to radiation doctors to other surgeons. I have two great partners that I work with together. And as a team, we've been able to move the dial uh, in only a positive direction for, for the women on Long Island. Now, you touched on early detection. Let's talk about really how critically important it is uh, for men and women uh, to catch catch this early. Excuse me. Right. So, of course, early de- detection is, is important. It's not the only thing because there, there are certain types of cancers that escape early detection that are still very treatable. And, and there are certain things we all realize that are out of our control and out of our hands. But can what we can do. I don't I don't know much about about those kinds of cancers. Well, there, there are certain, you know, biologies of tumors or a tumor that's, you know, deep in the breast that grows in between mammograms. So, I mean, there, the, the point is that w- women can and should be diligent, but that doesn't stop breast cancer from right. coming, right? So right. if you're diligent, you can still get breast cancer. So you, you, and you can't change that, but you can change whether you're diligent or not. So, right. and even in, even in the most advanced uh, communities and societies in, in our country, New York City, and otherwise, still probably only about 70% of women who are eligible for screening actually get annual screening. That, that probably tops out at 70% in best of circumstances. And in underserved communities, it's a lot lower than that. So right. there's still opportunity to expand screening. And Stony Brook has, a, has done a great job with that, with our mobile mammogram van, where right. we're able to go into underserved uh, communities and offer mammograms on the streets and at, and at, and at places of worship and at other uh, uh, job sites so that we're trying to expand as much as, much as we can because that's critical in, in early detection. How have screening and imaging techniques and technologies changed in recent years? Dramatically, dramatically so. So, in the old uh, in in the old days, the mammograms were very difficult to interpret. You could hardly see anything. Dense mammograms frequently occluded cancer. Right. Um, nowadays, we have the 3D tomosynthesis machine, really, which has been a a game changer. It's a much better technique. The chances of a mammogram of a of a breast cancer sneaking through a mammogram is not zero, but it's much lower than it should be. But women also should know that in their mammogram report every year, there's a mention of breast density. Right. Um, they're required by state law, now federal law, I believe, that a woman should know if her mammogram is dense, that, may, that, that they should usually get an ultrasound with the mammogram right, in most, right. not all circumstances, but in most circumstances when there's a dense breast, uh, even covered. with the 3D mammograms. And, and, and I think it's like as of 2012 or something here in New York, that's covered by insurance. Well, I, I I don't know that. I would hate to say that on on a and, on, and then a, be on a, and then be incorrect. Yeah, what's required by law is for a woman to be notified if she has a dense breast, so she's empowered to discuss to, additional right. screening opportunities with her physician. That's that's a legal requirement. Who who pays for and who doesn't pay for changes every day. So I I would hope they would pay for it. Um, I'd be an advocate to help people get it paid for in any any way I could. Uh, but I, I don't know that I could say it's automatically paid for. Right. I would hope it would be. Yeah, I th- I, I, it's something that I'm remembering from being a cub reporter. I know it was certainly something that um, I think it was the first time I met Fred Thiel, and it was on Shelter Island at Camp uh, Quinnipet, I believe, uh, when they were uh, fighting for this to to have uh, insurance cover uh, the ultrasounds for women with uh, dense breast tissue. But yes, you're right. It's been it has been many years since 2012. So uh, I I can't really say that that is the case today. Certainly, talk to your insurance company and find out. From them, okay. You mentioned uh, some some cancers grow between mammograms, or they can't be detected uh, early enough. Um, but what are some other signs and symptoms that uh, folks can keep an eye out uh, or hand out in order to help? Sure. Themselves? You know, for, for for years and years, and, and it probably evolved from the days where the mammograms were very poor. A woman was instructed to do a careful monthly self-exam in the shower and then laying on the bed afterwards. But that's a that's a big task for a woman who really kind of 
doesn't really know how to do a breast exam, and, and many women wouldn't be compliant or, or have the time or or confidence in doing a monthly exam. It's, so, so nowadays the, the teaching is and, and the terminology is breast self-awareness, where basically in the course of showering or in the course of, of getting dressed in the morning or looking in the shower and daily business, just, just be tuned into things that are different about the breast, whether it's a, a different appearance or an asymmetry in the mirror or whether there's a, a spontaneous discharge staining the clothes or whether there's a, a hard lump that doesn't go away in two weeks. So these, these are things that, that certainly uh, are still important to, to keep track of and be aware of. And um, we still occasionally see women in the office who, who had a symptom. It's, it's not like they're not finding things, but sometimes uh, not infrequently to hear a story from a woman who noticed one of those things and just didn't think it was anything. So, right. so there was an opportunity based on her own a breast self-awareness, there was an opportunity for earlier detection, but it seems mild enough that sometimes it can be dismissed and people get busy in their lives and with serious, serious things that, that occupy people and, and sometimes they forget about things. So, so if there's anything out of the ordinary and it lasts more than a couple of weeks, even if it seems minor, they should report it. I, I think that's a key, I think that's a key message for everybody is it, even if it seems minor, if it's different, and it lasts more than two weeks, they should report it and, and get imaging. Know thyself. Breast cancer is the second most common cancer among women in the United States. Of course, there are significant risk factors. Uh, genetics, I imagine, are, are chief among those. Well, outside of outside of skin cancer, it's the number one. So, you know, so you would include skin cancer maybe for a lot of people. But outside of skin cancer is, is clearly the number one. Uh, a cancer affecting women in America today. A small percent are genetically uh, uh, determined. A, a oh. small percent of women do get breast cancer because of abnormal genetics. Um, so but there are more significant risk factors then, I'm thinking, by the, by you saying that small. Well, the, the risk factors are multiple. Uh, the, the risk factors are multiple, but, but probably in, in a large percent of women, there's, there's no family history and there's no inciting event that it's a de novo occurrence. And so in, in most breast cancers, like other cancers, there's no clear initiating factor. Wow. So the, I remember speaking to Susie Roden from Lucius Angels and uh, the Coalition for Women's Cancers recently, and she was saying exactly that. She was saying there is no... Uh, characteristic of a woman uh, that you can point to that that will say you know uh, breast cancer is more likely. This can and does happen to anyone. Yeah. So the, right there, there are there are some family histories, of course, that you elicit a family history with multiple family members that you would say that you know a woman could be genetically predisposed. She would be at a higher risk of breast cancer in that scenario. Is that like the some people gene? think that denser breasts are a risk factor. So so some of these things can can qualify a, a woman for 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 being high risk, and right. then get more intensive screening, and usually that would involve. Uh, MRI in addition to mammogram and ultrasound. Oh, wow. So there, there, there are some identifiably identifiable factors that would contribute to a high risk status, and we can we can make some modifications and add extra screening in those scenarios. And I imagine if if this is a woman who has so is that like extremely dense uh, tissue that you would uh, what are what are the the types of characteristics that you would uh, recommend uh, an MRI in addition to ultrasound and and a mammogram uh, and which hello yes can you hear me oh, oh you're still there yes. okay um, well it, it's it's more complicated than that there are risk there are risk calculation models that can be performed for a woman that that takes into consideration family history previous biopsies whether right. there's been atypia, age of menopause, age at menarche, and whether the breast is dense. So the breast density is just one component right. that factors into these complex risk calculating models that aren't perfect. They're, they're far from perfect. But if a model predicts a woman's lifetime risk of getting breast cancer is higher than 20 or 25 percent, then that would be a woman who's eligible for additional screening. Can we talk a little bit about the BRCA gene, what it is, and how that fits into everything you're talking about now? 
Well, I think, yeah, you must be talking about the BRCA gene, yes. BRCA. There, yes. there are two genes, BRCA1 and, and BRCA2. These are genetic abnormalities that can be passed on uh, in families and in generations. And a woman who has that gene is at a significantly higher risk to get breast cancer and, and in many instances, ovarian cancer. So for those women, if you identify that, that gene, then they have the opportunity to have risk-reducing surgery, which would, which would virtually limit, eliminate their risk, but of course they pay a big price for that, or, or increased you know, surveillance with, with, with MRI in addition to mammogram and ultrasound. So identification of, of women with, with genes, and there are other genes too that we've identified, but still the bracket genes are the most, probably the most important ones. Uh, when you identify that, you can empower a woman to make very difficult decisions about her life. Right. I'm thinking of, of Angelina Jolie famously. All right. So what's, what are some ways that uh, one can reduce risk of breast cancer, I suppose, outside of uh, staying on top of annual screenings? Well, annual screening doesn't re- reduce risk, right? So risk stays the same. Annual screening doesn't change your risk of breast cancer. It aims to find breast cancer early. True. Um, <laughs> Risk risk reducing strategies would include kind of kind of the basic things you do for general health, um, avoid cigarette smoking, you know, monitor your weight and, and weight reduction strategies the best you can, and exercise. There is there are some medications that are available for a woman who's identified as being high risk. These are the anti-estrogen medications that are also used to treat women with breast cancer. Things like tamoxifen or anastrozole. These medications are, have been given over the years for women diagnosed with breast cancer, but they also can be given to a high-risk women for risk reduction. So, so that's the only real risk reduction other than, you know, lifestyle modifications. That would be anti-estrogen therapy. But probably, you know, not, not, some women are interested and many women aren't interested in, in, in taking a, a medication for that. Right. But it's certainly available. So what, what haven't we touched on that you want to make sure – uh, the folks know, Dr. O'Hay. Well, I think I think to, to, to summarize it, you know, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so this is a very important exercise, and and I hope for everybody listening in that they were able to get something out of this. I think general breast self awareness and uh, n- not to ignore even even a minor finding if it persists for more than a couple three weeks to report immediately. Uh, get your annual mammogram if your breast is dense. Ask for an ultrasound. People who have a family history could, you know, see see a, a surgeon or even their gynecologist for a risk assessment uh, uh, calculation to to determine what best is screening for them going forward, and then you know seek seek medical help for even the, for even something that seems like it's minor. So when you're getting your mammogram or your your annual screening done, how do you know? Uh, is there some sort of protocol if a woman or a person has dense breast tissue that it will trigger uh, staff to announce that? Um, otherwise, what should they be looking for on any sort of paperwork that they might receive? No, it's required by law oh, that fantastic. they get in the mail a letter that says okay. your breasts are dense. Yes. Can you sh- if you know you should discuss additional screening right. uh, with your primary care doctor. Fantastic news. Or whomever. Right. Yeah. So for more information, uh, folks can go to cancer.stonybrookmedicine.edu. Big thank you to you, Dr. O'Hay of Stony Brook Medicine. I'm Gianna Volpe. This was the Medical Monday segment, underwritten by Jennifer Benton. Uh, this is Joni Mitchell, and you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome, and you're listening to WLIWFM NPR Radio. a promise that I made to love When it was new just like Jericho I said Let these walls come tumbling down I said it like I finally found the way To keep the good feeling 
As you let your eyes adjust to the darkness deep within, sifting through the ash and dust, we are the places that we've been.
don't know me yet Knowing takes a long, long time And time is all we have Never traveling in straight lines So memorize each turn twist and just be careful as you go for if love is a labyrinth and my heart is Jericho NPR News Break with Andrew Ripp and Rufus Wainwright. That was Mary Chapin Carpenter. I'm Jenna Volpe. And you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome and you're listening to WLIWFM. Don't forget to wish your boss a happy appre- boss appreciation day. And that includes especially you, Diane Michelli, from right here on WLIWFM. Punches with the enemy. Ooh, built myself a double thick stone tower, lies higher than the eye can see. Trapped in my flesh and bone, crying out to you, love. I'm desperate. Love pulled out of this cage and set me free. All of my fears, like Jericho.
But I'm a 